This week on Trek Mary Kill, Borg, Shelby, Cop It. Next! The outcome of this entire conspiracy was intended for this moment. They're gonna blow us out of the water. We have to try. The fleet is trying to commandeer our systems. They're shutting us down. We're out of time. We need to get off the Titan before it's too late. never been so happy to see so many wrinkles. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Stu. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, a Star Trek podcast that's never been so happy to see so many wrinkles. Joining us this week is my friend Stu, now a film producer, but we became friends a long time ago as production assistants. Stu, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I met you uh, within the same 24 hours that I met William Shatner, thanks to Boston Legal. <laughs> Stu. I don't know how he would say your name. Well, uh, Stu, but like, but no, seriously, one of the best moments of my life was being on location and being told I had to help him set up his Wi-Fi internet. And <laughs> like, he's like, now tell me again. Now tell me again. You, you, you click in the upper right here. Like... <laughs> Really nice guy, by the way. I always tell people, you know, what what was he like? I'm like, well, when he when he had to work that day, he was the first person mm-hmm. there. He learned all of his lines. He was in. He acted in every take, mm-hmm. even when the camera wasn't on him. He was there. He was very focused. Yeah, there was one time we were on location. I was like. 50 feet away from him and I just hit my mind was like why am I getting this creepy vibe from Shatner right now and after five minutes I realized oh yeah I'm also a huge Halloween fan and <laughs> the older he gets the more he looks like the Michael Myers mask <laughs> uh, so how did you get into Star Trek gotta know you know a lot of people talk about like what's their jumping off show and I there was this group of friends called the Beaties I had when I was like really little. They loved Star Trek. And when I was a really little kid, I always thought it was kind of boring. Like I think the constant drone of the engines made it just like lull me to sleep. And uh, James Beattie's one of my best friends, but he'll never forgive me because I lost his warp nacelles from his Enterprise D like big action figure. How dare you? Um, they were, I started to see a couple of 60s episodes on TV. And then when I was nine, there was one spring break where I watched the first six movies. So I guess the first six movies, like I'm obsessed with those. Um, I missed next generation. Like I watched part of the finale the night it was on and then saw generations in theaters. So in the nineties got really into deep space nine Voyager. I've been in and out of it. Uh, happy to be talking about Picard season three, which is by far the best star Trek since 1999, just bar none. Let's just, say that so Stu is joining me at Chateau Picard to record this episode so Mm -hmm. that's why it sounds a little bit different from usual but we are dealing with episode nine of Star Trek Picard season three Vox Mm -hmm. which premiered on Paramount Plus April 13th 2023 written by Sean Tretta with Kylie Rossiter directed by Terry Metalis who is trying to do something nobody has ever done before and that is publicly pitch their own star trek show which kristen and i will talk about next week but uh the the stones on terry metallis and you see the seeds of it being planted in this one but before we get to that Stu, before i get into a synopsis i have a point blank uh, question to ask you okay what do you think about nostalgia what do you think about it 
uh, as a general feeling, sure, but its use in commerce and art. As, as a general feeling, it's, you know, I could probably wax poetic about, you know, oh, the yesteryears or, you know, always the rose colored glasses you can look on the past or the things that you loved growing up. You know what I mean? Um, as far as its value in commerce, we'd probably be having a very different conversation if we had this conversation 10 years ago. Uh, we are, it has become, I think, a bit of a bad word because it's just, just everything is continuing and rebooting. Um, I'm actually curious with you though, because, because what I'm very jealous of is by doing this project, you have, I have not rewatched Picard. I've watched the whole thing once and then I rewatched Vox for this episode. But are you finding that nostalgia is like in the storytelling of this season or is it just a byproduct of it? So I'm asking the question, listener, because, I mean, let's first get excited. Mm-hmm. The fucking the Enterprise D <laughs> is back, all right? Yeah. We, I, we've buried the lead. <laughs> the, our favorite ship from childhood is back. <laughs> They're on the bridge. This is the episode that kicks us off into the last hour, but at the, the last six minutes. Yeah. Hey, remember the Enterprise D? Here it is. Yeah. You, you like Star Trek, don't you? And well, to your question, to your question, um, I'm still weeks later, extremely excited about <laughs> the last six minutes, the last four minutes, the last one minute of the episode because the Enterprise is back now. Uh, there's a the criticism after the season ended from Star Trek fans who are never happy or just like to be contrarian, which is all fandom that happens everywhere is like, this is all member berries or fan service and all that stuff. And you know what? The season has those elements for sure, but I don't feel that it just uses uh, other seasons of the newer Star Trek are completely guilty of Mm -hmm. just coasting on. Remember this? Mm -hmm. Hey, we referenced that. And at least this time around the Terry Metalis and the writing staff, they're like, well, we got to justify it. Mm-hmm. We can put it in here, but it's got to have a reason. It's got to exist in story. Are those reasons always totally solid? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's everyone's point. But to the larger thing, like it's just fan service? No, I don't no. think so. And I kind of feel like the promise of the premise when you're... I mean, let's go to basics. If you're doing Star Trek Picard in 2019 or it came out in 2020, you're trading you're trafficking on people's yes. memories of jean-luc picard you're also trafficking on a very spry and game 81 year old <laughs> yes, actor yes hitting his marks yes. he's, he's doing great yes. patrick he's and, doing then, wonderful. and then when the pandemic hit they were like oh, oh crap this kills old <laughs> yeah, kills crap. old people at an alarming rate we we need to do back-to-back seasons block shooting, yeah. block shooting, block shooting. <laughs> and so i mean the the whole pro- project is is trading on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And then when Terry Metalis pitched his third season, he looked at it and he said, how could you not do this yeah. story? <laughs> to which I'm like, I think I see your point And I think it's been done mostly well. This episode uh, and some other ones, and I think even in the finale, there are moments where I'm like, we definitely have decided that the other seasons of Star Trek Picard didn't exist, mm-hmm. which I think for most fans is fine. You think so linearly. How, <laughs> how, sorry, spoiler for, so many spoiler, but yeah. But I mean, in this episode, we'll get into it, but 
my feelings on nostalgia. You haven't really addressed my question, but mm. I don't trust when I f- have feelings. I tr- I question my feelings. I don't think that's just nostalgia, <laughs> but <laughs> no, it's for everything. So when I feel a deep longing or something for the past, first of all, I'm usually against it. I don't mm. like to revisit the past, not because the past is uncomfortable, but good or bad, it happened. Yeah. What What can happen now? Mm-hmm. And so there is, there's a part of me that's like, oh, Star Trek Picard, where is Jean-Luc Picard at this point in his life? I think as much as we're trading on, we're bringing Picard back, you, you could probably tell an interesting story that doesn't resort to the, you know, and, and credit to the, the writing mm-hmm. in the first two seasons, they, they definitely were like, we're not revisiting the past. Nope. We're doing the opposite of that. <laughs> and I think even in this season, they, they kind of don't, they kind of don't uh, really try to do that. I think bringing in Star Trek's history is not as, not the same thing as saying, let's just go and do this again. Yeah. Well, one thing that I've had a very fun experience watching it is, uh, so I've been a Star Trek fan since I was nine, you know, and now I'm 38. And I've been watching it. I watched this new season of Picard with my wife, Eva, who is, she loves Star Trek. She adores Star Trek. But she got into Star Trek like five years ago. And we watched like a sampling of original series in those first six movies. And then over the pandemic, we watched Next Generation. So the point being, she's not getting the nostalgia feels that I am where it's like, oh, that ship nine years old again, you know. And the story of this season has worked like gangbusters on both of us. I think a big theme of it, there's a lot of ways of mining the theme of closure and moving on and like new beginnings. And this might sound broad and pedantic, but like Picard's Picard's being reframed in his 80s as a father is richly, richly, richly explored. And it does not feel like a repeat of the Kirk-David dynamic. It's a fun kind of inversion of that. So just being able to like have that dialogue with Eva where, okay, so like every now and then I'll pause and I'll like tell her who Tuvok is because she hasn't watched Voyager. But even if I wasn't there to do that, it would not take her from the story at all. So hats off to them that they like, they have their moments like at the Starfleet Museum, at the museum where they're like, okay, let's take two minutes and show you some ships and play you some themes. But the, the story is pretty relentlessly moving forward. Even the D reveal it's great. They're walking around and then they take their stations. They're off, you know. Don't worry. We're going to talk about <laughs> that scene for a very long time. I'm yeah. just letting you know. <laughs> uh, but what did you feel? How, so you've liked the season. So that answers yeah. my question, how you felt about the season heading into it. So how have you felt about Jack Crusher, the character? I I really, really, really like Jack Crusher, the character. Again, I at some point I'll be I'll go back and rewatch things. Um, I think that the reveal of uh, Borg and whatnot. I love that now I can watch the first eight episodes and go, oh, how is that collective feeling the, that he has a great like monologue about? How is that manifesting in his character for the first eight episodes? Um, I mean, why, the heartbreaking moment of the season for me is in episode four, that flashback to the bar where he's in the hat and tells Picard, did you ever have time for family? And Picard at the time has no idea. He tells his son that he has no need of it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think Picard, I think Jack is a, is a is a good character he is a little bit of there is a plot functionality to him at times um 
I again, I can't go back and say he's perfect and whatnot by any means. No, but, we're, uh, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it can be good and bad. I mean, I, I think it's a very tricky part. We've mm-hmm. talked about it pretty recently that it's just a really tough part to play because he he's a damsel, but mm-hmm. he can't be a damsel because they want him to be a rogue. What do you so, mean by damsel? Oh, like because, a damsel in distress. Because everyone's after him. Yes. Everyone, yes, uh, yes, that's interesting. And we can't define what his issue is because that's hide, they're trying to hide the ball mm-hmm. For the larger arc, so we can't actually get in there to understand what's going on. Yeah. And I think they don't hit the connection idea too hard because they don't want mm-hmm. people reading into that earlier. Um, once you start seeing branches and connections and him wanting sure. to be connected to people, they'd be like, oh, it sounds like uh, Borg stuff. Like in <laughs> retrospect, I'm like, how did I not actually see that coming? Like, Probably, <laughs> I think, the, I mean, listen, it's the Borg. The Borg are behind the door that sure. Jack's been seeing. I think it's. I think a lot of us didn't see it because we didn't want to. But I think Maybe. a lot of people were right out in front of. They knew right away. Yeah. But I was just like, really, they're gonna do it for all three seasons. And Terry Metalis, he said in comments, he asked Patrick Stewart, "What's the worst thing that ever happened to Jean Luc Picard?" Mm-hmm. He said, "Lacutus." And then he says, "What's the worst thing that he could pass on to his son?" And he, and Patrick Stewart said, "Lacutus." Mm-hmm. I'm like, great, let's do that. Um, one more thing about Jack Crusher, especially Ed Spilliers mm-hmm. trying to play a 20 year old. Yeah, I looked that up recently. I was like, "Wow, this like twenty year old like he's got to be getting all the all the all the babes, man. He's thirty <laughs> four. He's a married man with several kids, and it's like in real yeah. life. And and the, you know, Jack is written as a twenty year old. I think. Whoa, 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 fan theory. He was born in nineteen eighty eight. Which is the same year as the second season of Next Generation, which Beverly Crusher was not on. Is that the year that Crusher went to the convent? That's it. <laughs> That's it. We figured it out. But uh, Terry Metalis gave Ed Spilliers a crash course in Star Trek. I just wanted to mention this because I oh. read this today, actually. Um, he told him to watch not all of the movies. He told him to watch The Wrath of Khan through First Contact, which... Mm-hmm. It's a good stretch. Uh, the the uh, motion picture, I can understand why you wouldn't say you need this. But, folks, if you're trying to watch Star Trek movies, <laughs> start with Star Trek the motion picture. Watch the director's edition. Go all the way through. <laughs> anyway, and then he gave him these episodes. He gave him Measure of a Man, Yesterday's Enterprise, Both Parts of Best of Both Worlds, uh, Darmok, Iborg, Inner Light, Chain of Command, Both Parts, Tapestry, and then All Good Things. And uh, he says tapestry at Spilliers is where he got the idea of like, mm-hmm. oh, I see Jack Crusher as a rogue because this is how yeah. Picard was at, at a similar age. That's a and cool little, that's a cool list. I'm like, you know, I'm like, no. Uh, he no gave naked. him Samaritan snare. Yeah, no naked now, no code of honor. Where are you at? <laughs> uh, so let's, before we get into our own stray thoughts about this episode, uh, let's just do a quick synopsis. Dana helps Jack Crusher opened the red door he's been seeing all season, and yep, there's your problem, Jack. You got the Borg in your head. <laughs> Turns out Jean-Luc didn't pass down aromatic syndrome. He passed down altered Borg DNA, which they reference in Best of Both Worlds Part 2. When uh, he's being scanned, uh, Dr. Crusher says his DNA is being literally rewritten. So just a, a stray line. Man, they, they were smart in 1990. <laughs> yeah, they knew, they, they knew to set up this 33 years on plot point. This is all planned. <laughs> and so now the collective wants Jack to come back. He's part of their plan. Why? He's a transmitter. And he's able to send, speak directly to the genetically altered Borg. Genetically altered Borg? What are you talking about? Turns out the changelings have been working with the Borg 
to modify the DNA of everyone in Starfleet by taking Jean-Luc's Locutus DNA that was altered and putting it in as common biology in the transporter system. So everyone in Starfleet, especially the, the people under 25, because their brains are still developing so they can process the genetics, make it part of their own code. They are able to be directly controlled by Jack Crusher, who is being controlled by the Borg Queen. So it seems like it'd be a really bad idea if Jack Crusher and the Borg Queen got together. But when Picard tells him that he has this issue and says, we're going to send you to the Federation funny farm, Jack's thing is to go, I will, no, I, I reject that. I'm going to go straight to the Borg Queen and I'm going to ask her what's, what's what. And when she gets close to me, I'm going to show her what I'm all about. And I'll prove that I, I'm better than all this. And no, he gets captured right away and then turns. Then on Frontier Day, the entire fleet turns against uh, Earth. And Starfleet starts killing off all the olds, all the old people. And it's up to the Enterprise D crew to get off the Titan and use the one ship that's not networked. Jordy's been restoring the Enterprise D for the last 20 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now they got to warp back and save humanity. Yeah, We're going to talk about the Enterprise D. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we've got to get through our format, all right? Okay. <laughs> Stu, yes. any straight thoughts about this episode that doesn't fit into a grade? Uh, I've grown to love Frontier Day uh, as a concept. Uh, I think it might be tying in with the fact that I've been doing an original series binge, and let's just say that Starfleet has always had a number of really, really bad ideas that they've done. <laughs> and I just have thoughts about Frontier Day. I'm like, what's the best seat? Like, you're still at a human scale. There's, like, fireworks for Frontier Day. If you're sitting on space dock, wouldn't you basically see, like, one giant red bulb? Um, it's a it's a great little caveat. It's a great little MacGuffin concept and whatnot. I just, I have fun with the Frontier Day aspect. I'm like, really? The entire fleet is there? Yeah. So. Well, then they've been saying the entire fleet, and I think Shaw, when they're warping to Earth to warn everybody, mm -hmm. he says almost the entire fleet. So they did tweak it. Sure. <laughs> and, and let me just let me just get it out of the way. Picard Raiders, if you're listening to this, y'all done fantastic. <laughs> I'm just having fun with it. I, I said earlier, I th some of the rougher stuff, I'm like, okay, it sounds like they didn't have a normal amount of time to write this, so... Some of the fuzziness. But there was a lot of fuzziness I had there. So Frontier Day is a great idea. It makes perfect sense that they would have this, especially if it, and it's much more Earth-centric. And that, that all makes sense to me. But I have a question for you, Stu. Mm -hmm. Did they need to do the fleet formation hack plus the genetics? Because uh, it, it kind of is like a double idea that's almost not necessary. Uh, I mean, define necessary or not necessary. I hear what you're saying, like, that it could have just been the antenna, right? But, well, no, because then you still, like, you get the whole thing of the Enterprise D is analog. It doesn't have that system. You didn't really need, you kind of need that. But if you didn't have the fleet formation, it wouldn't matter. It's like all the, what's the closest ship? Mm -hmm. You just go back to that trope. The Enterprise D yeah. is the closest fully functional <laughs> ship. That could take on the Borg, theoretically. I mean, theoretically, I guess not. I guess you could do one or the other, and if you were to do one or the other, you would do... Do the, the Borg. The, the, you, do would, the Borg. you would do the much cooler um, idea. Yeah. And and then the changelings, then the plan is like even stronger, but it's like it's, it's a weird twinning of the idea. Mm. It's horrific enough that the ships all get taken over by the young people. The only other th straight thought I had that didn't really fit anywhere was upon rewatching it, 
we have one moment where Riker is still annoyed with Shelby, which I thought was a nice callback to Best of Both Worlds. Like, he still is eye-rolling at her. Yeah. Even though... But she outranks him now. That's right. <laughs> he was in her way. And she pushed him out of the way. <laughs> that was fantastic. I thought the first few scenes are rough. I was kind of like, poor Jack. She says... Or Dana is counseling him and holding his hand, and she's in his mind. She says... I'll be with you every step of the way. And then as soon as she sees the board, she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> she runs away, literally runs away. Uh, Picard tells Beverly he'll talk to Jack since it's his fault. Uh, mm-hmm. And Deanna's threatening that they have duties to perform. I thought it was weird that Beverly gets shut out of this very important conversation, that she doesn't go with him. Um, Picard's, like I said, Picard says he'll send Jack to the Federation Funny Farm, which is yeah. on Vulcan. And Jack very rightly gets indignant. And he's like, they're going to like lobotomize me with mind melds. Yes, that's that's the plan. Yeah. But I mean, Picard could have said, I've been through what you're going through. I know mm-hmm. how to deprogram or I hope I can help you. But they can't. It's like they can't step on the idea of Picard being helpful because they've got to save that idea. It's a little weird. Yeah. Well, and, you're getting to a lot of my grades yeah, here with what you're well, saying. But the, uh, the, the one other thought I had uh, that was um, not that I don't know where to put it is. I did like the whole people under 25 thing. I don't think it's any deliberate commentary on like the young are being weaponized, but it reminded me of the a good woke way. mind virus. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me a good way. Of, I really liked the fourth matrix movie, the matrix resurrections. I don't know if you saw it. I did. Uh, yeah. It reminded me of the whole swarm mode thing, mm-hmm. like weaponizing like a whole host of people at once. And it's fun in a sci-fi like threat sense, but you could also zoom out and be like, okay, is the, Borg queen, essentially a malicious actor weaponizing minds. Like, a little bit of fun with that. So, I think this was an episode that needed a Raffi Picard scene. Okay. And and I was really disappointed it didn't happen. It seemed like the only place it could have really happened was around the time Data puts his hand on Picard's shoulder trying to comfort him. Mm -hmm. You know, she could have come in right before Data or with Data and said, like, so, JL, you have a son? You know what I mean? Like, let me tell you, I have a son and... I know that if you let the if they think that you're not in their corner, it's gonna break that relationship. Something like that. You know, she has sure. she has some wisdom to provide in that situation. And then other commenters, uh, Lori Ulster, who has been a guest on this podcast, she's pointed out she's like all this Borg stuff, and they're not asking Seven for her advice. Yeah. So I thought uh, that was pretty weird. That yeah, that was interesting. Well, yeah. like I had a quote that I was gonna read from uh, my buddy Glenn Fields, who's been watching, which he was like. Starfleet is super lenient with the Picard men. Jean-Luc gets assimilated, destroys a bunch of ships, kills a shit ton of people, nearly destroys immunity, humanity, and like a week later, we're all good. He's back to captaining. His son joins the Borg voluntarily, uh, kills a shit ton of people, and, well, it'll be a spoiler for episode 10. He's like, both of them should be locked up for life <laughs> at, the very, at the very least so they can't procreate and create more Borg prodigies. <laughs> or at least have desk jobs. So, yeah. <laughs> so then my last straight thought, we had been pulling Terry Metalis' comments from his Collider interviews they'd done after every episode, but this time, because this is really important in this episode, I mean, it's important all season. Let's take a moment to spotlight the music. Yeah. The score in this season, it's insane. Mm-hmm. I can't, it just it blows my mind. It blew my mind all all ten episodes. Uh, Stephen Barton and Frederick Weedman, mm-hmm. and in this episode is Frederick Weedman who mm-hmm. was brought in. He didn't come in until episode seven. Mm-hmm. Until late in the season, they they wound up doing seven hours of music for the whole season, but he. 
rearranged the next generation theme into this fucking Marvel triumphant thing that I never thought I would, it never occurred to me that you could do that with the music. Yep. And they completely modern, I don't know, brought Star Trek into the 21st century. Like I said, a Marvel movie broke out in the last five minutes of Star Trek. No, and you, it was great. You hit it on the head because the that track, it's very, it, it evokes the portals moment in Endgame, Avengers Endgame for me the like building up to captain america saying avengers assemble so you know that's alan silvestri but yeah it's he's quoting themes the whole thing of i don't know if it costs them money every time they use a theme if they have to pay whatever composer's estate but like terry metallis being a fan but also coming up from like 90s trek which was 20 freaking episode seasons He's like, yes, it is worth it for us to put a huge ton of our budget towards music. Yes, it is worth it for us to put a huge ton of our budget towards a Enterprise Bridge set that we shoot on for two days. Like, that is something we're going to be rewatching hundreds of times more so than... And if you weren't in it as, as an exec green lighting it, you'd think this is insane. This is crazy. But it is clearly like what exactly this season needed. So So I'll skim through my notes now because, yeah, yeah, Terry Mattel is obsessed with the music. Barden and Weedman did an interview with this guy, Sean Farrick, on mm. something called the War Room Podcast. You can find it on YouTube. It's an hour. It's great. It's got like some, maybe some behind the scenes stuff about season two, which uh, was kind of fun to hear. Maybe they had some negative comments about the whole process, but what they had to do to kind of remake the music and the approach to music for Star Trek. Terry Metalis asked Stephen Barton on 12 Monkeys, is the music committing to what it's doing? They were kind of saying like a lot of scores kind of uh, not embarrassingly, but kind of slowly get into what they're doing and they don't fully commit. So this was like, it has to be fully Star Trek, but also it can't just be here's the cue and then it drops mm-hmm. out into our score. It all has to match. So I'm just going to read uh, Weedman's line. Uh, Having the luxury to really score every single scene without doing any tracking, it allows you to just make the whole thing like a fluid experience. You can just do your own thing, your own harmonic environment, and then bring in one of those themes, the Voyager theme or the whatever theme you might be using, and just do hints of it, do parts of it, fragments of it, and just maybe even introduce the harmonies of it without even playing the theme. But it's enough to evoke that. And this, it doesn't feel so, here's the theme, here we go, cue the Star Trek theme on this part. The scene at the end of episode nine is where, for me, that was the biggest challenge to navigate through all of that. Because it's like a six-minute piece of them arriving, going in, and then taking off, all full of Goldschmidt. And, well, Frederick, that it was an amazing <laughs> music. It was yeah. awesome. And also, just one more bit about Terry Metalis being obsessed with music. They got an email saying, like, hey, guys, you have to do a soundtrack for this. And the composers were like, ah, we'll get to it next week. And the next morning, they had an email from Terry Metalis and he had laid out the entire track list. He had named all the tracks and he had all the notes and like, this is what I'm thinking. And then they were like, great. <laughs> we don't have to do any of the work and it looks great. But uh, yeah, Terry Metalis putting the effort into wanting the score to be great uh, really makes it work. So he just he just understands the diff. He's a cook who understands how all these ingredients work together. And he assembled the right kind of like sous chefs and whatnot to it. All right, Stu, I, I did something I don't normally do and I printed out my notes. Um, usually I just look at a computer screen. You don't have to see the individual wording, but can you see? We're, we're going into the grades now, folks. Yeah. So great scenes. Can you see how many notes I have for just the... Dude, look at my notes. <laughs> okay. I, 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 have, I have like, it looks are, like a football play. Are we starting on the same scene? We're going to just start with the last six minutes of the episode. Where I usually like to go in order. 
Okay, it's up to you. you I, I've Let's seen... start with the Enterprise D. That's okay. what the, that's what this episode is all yes. building towards. Uh, I don't know. Do you go back to these from just hey, what are we doing at the Fleet Museum? <laughs> okay, so I got burned because I watched this episode two days later. I've got a one year old at home. A lot of stuff was happening. I was trying to stay spoiler free. But I went on YouTube and the one thing I found out about this episode was I saw like Enterprise D and I was like, no, you know, <laughs> so I knew that that was coming. But as I've rewatched this scene probably a hundred times by now, it's super effective. It's super effective. And there's a, another franchise that we both love, Rocky. Every time I watch the scene as they start to as the Enterprise ship starts to go, I think of that scene in Rocky Balboa when the fight starts and you hear the announcer be like, the first round of a Rocky Balboa fight. I never thought I'd believe it. Like in my head, I'm going, the Enterprise D is warping in to save the day. I can't believe it. The I have watched the last four minutes of this episode 50 times, and I've watched the last minute of this episode 150 times. And then Paramount the other day just put the last minute of the clip yeah. up there. I'm like, why would you do that? I'm a junkie. Now I'm just going to be looking at my phone, watching it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to list all the things. Stop me or interject or comment. Sure. I, here are all the things I love about the la once they get on board the Enterprise. Well, for, well, right before it, I love the moment about the Enterprise E. Yeah. And I'll just ask you, because again, I became a Next Generation fan after it was over. What do you feel about the Enterprise E? Uh, I'm ambivalent. I thought it was cool in the moment of first contact. Yeah. And in Insurrection, it just kind of was a wet fart. And then in, <laughs> by, by Nemesis, I didn't care. I, I like the Enterprise E. The yeah. D's iconic, but I'm like, yeah. everyone hate. I think it gets too much hate now. All, all I don't, the no, e. no, no. I'm not that far on it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I, I think I like it. It's not my favorite Enterprise. If I were to, I mean, should we rank our Enterprises? We both, we both have the same number one, which is, which is the refit Kirk ship, yes. right? Yes. And so there's people out there that are like, oh, the Enterprise E is trash. I'm like, well, it's just following in the tradition of now yeah. you're in a movie, you you yeah. up the ship. I, yeah. I think the D, though, is a close, like it's 1A sometimes in my mind. Yeah. Because I really love looking at the ship. <laughs> it's very comforting. It's all that stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. They're walking. So you like the you like the stuff on the shuttle and they're yeah. all gaping at it. That's great. Uh, people that are complaining that how could Picard not know? I agree it's a little fuzzy that because of the prime directive, he would know what happened to a ship crash on a planet. But I, I submit to you the following. You can kind of rework it this way. The the saucer section they knew mm -hmm. was recovered. And so, but maybe LaForge was telling them all the everyone else, because maybe not everyone else knew what happened to the saucer section. And so Picard didn't realize, wait a minute, what's going on? He didn't know that Geordi had found a star drive to connect to it. So seeing it all assembled and back together, that's why Picard's reacting the way well, that he Well, he says he's been working on it for 20 years, right? Yeah. Which I don't remember where we are in the timeline, but that's essentially post nemesis. Right. And, right? and Star Trek, and then season two of Picard, though, there's like a, it's a plaque, so maybe you can ignore it, but it said that the saucer section was in the Fleet Museum already. Okay. So, I mean, Picard could just be out of it. I mean, I buy, I buy that post nemesis, there's a splitting up that happens, and then as Jordy takes on this role, I buy that Jordy could, I would, I would, I would wager. Jordy finds a way to hide it. And Picard's busy with other stuff. Picard's busy, you know, with plenty of adventures. And as Jordy becomes this like mega fleet curator, yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it's the same reveal as like, hey, dad, check it out. I restored your classic yeah, car. It's, so it's great. Well, it's a, it doesn't bother. No, Jordy is dad. That's yeah. his classic car. Yeah. <laughs> and he even lovingly restores it to the seven season bridge yes. not the movie bridge sure which anyone complaining about that i'm like no he can do whatever he wants he's the the bridge was trashed he could fix it however he wanted yeah. <laughs> um all right they walk on to the bridge Riker checks to make sure the bathroom is still there <laughs> <laughs> well, well did Riker do that or did breaks do that I mean, it doesn't matter so one of the one or the other uh picard you know it wasn't until this moment reunited with all of you i realized what i missed most the carpet <laughs> You know, as they were walking on, it was giving me flashbacks to, I don't know if you ever did Star Trek The Experience in Vegas. Stu, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you've done it as well? Yes, where okay. you're on yes. the Enterprise Bridge. And and there was something, just the slow camera moves. It was like we'd never see a camera work like that in the show. It would be the standard static setup. So just it taking it in, it felt real, you know? It felt like you're there. So Now you enter from the head yep. <laughs> in the experience yep. <laughs> did you go on it twice just once i went yeah. it twice because the second time i'm like i know when the woman doing the performance turns because mm -hmm. they're very clear that you can't touch anything and i i was like i know when she turns and i'm gonna press the fire torpedo button because <laughs> i know where that is on warp's console <laughs> and i made sure to do that and it was great it was uh, a temporal incident there so exciting um Major Barrett's voice, authorization acknowledged, USS Enterprise, now under command of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Mm -hmm. Does everyone know what two episodes those are from? Uh, I, I looked it up. Chain of Command. Chain of Command uh, Captain uh, Jellicoe. Jellicoe, yes. Yeah. But the first part, authorization acknowledged, is from Starship Mine. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, Picard, while well, I hereby accept the field devotion. Riker, we are... Um, the, when just the idea that Picard's like... I don't, it's weird that he's asking them, uh, you shouldn't all have to do this, you know, with me. It's, I'm asking a lot, mm -hmm. but like Jordy's daughters are, <laughs> their lives are threatened. Yeah. You know, like what's data going to do? Worf's, he's pot committed to this whole project. Yeah. It's Beverly's son. Like they all have a very compelling reason to stay. So him saying that it's like, what, he's going to fly the ship by himself. But anyway, Riker saying, Hey, dumbass, yeah. we're your family. And then Troy saying, Jack, Alondra, Sydney, they're our family too. Listen, people who give Counselor Troy or Marina Sirtis shit, there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Star Trek Next Generation does not work without Counselor Troy. Mm -hmm. And she's the one that says that line because, of course, Counselor Troy remembers, hey, let's not forget why we're doing this. Yeah. And, uh, and she's the linchpin. That's why yeah. this season really picks up when she starts to come into it, I thought. But um, I, have, I have more. The Enterprise powering up. Like, I'm just listening. Every beat of this scene is great. He says, stations, please. The Enterprise yes. powers up. We got to make it so. Stations, please, I think, is one of the key underspoken moments because they're taking it all in. And as soon as he says stations, the music picks up. They go to work. Yep. Like, they go to work. They've bathed in the nostalgia for a bit, but they go to work. And you just... There, there was, were you saying, I think maybe on a recent episode, or maybe, I forget if it was this, or Red Letter Media, there's like inherent drama in the working of a starship, and just everyone's got their stations. It's great. You, you know? build in anticipation. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in the later seasons of like Voyager and Enterprise, Star Trek fans would watch every episode. Maybe we're getting tired of hearing the same rote yeah. stuff, but that's what the beauty of this moment is. It's just bringing it all back. Picard I, asks Jordy for permission to sit in his chair. He <laughs> knows that it's not his ship. He's like, yes. Jordy, may I? Yes. You know. 
and and Jordy, absolutely, Admiral, and you know, uh, make it so, and then that really kicks the score in for that last minute, mm-hmm. and that's. I watch these again. I watch these right when they come out, and sometimes I get a little drowsy, and I, I couldn't sleep, and uh, I still think about it, and it gets me excited, and if I just watch it, and it puts me in a good mood. The yep. the last minute from that, um, we got Mr. Data set a direct course for Earth, maximum warp, uh, that which is a straight line from uh, first contact, yep. but that was the moment where I I was like, ah, oh, you can't go home again. Because when Brent Spiner turns around, they all just look so old. Yeah, just, but, but that's the moment. thing where it's like, I love that we got this and it's like, we're done. Yes. You know, like, let's move on. But like, yeah. but here's how it immediately picks right back up into this is what we're doing now, though, because then we get the cool pull in shot, which is awesome. But Data says, I, Captain, course laid in, sir. She's ready. Data saying she's ready, acknowledging the the ship as a, as a woman oh, yeah, who's ready. He's like, we're ready to go. It's just like a little touch that gets you. And then, according to Terry Metalis, Patrick Stewart remembered. He was the one that did the Picard maneuver. Didn't have to be directed. Oh, wasn't wow. in the script. And Patrick Stewart, he said Patrick Stewart was... Thought, really uh, was impressed with himself for doing that. I'm like, he should be. Yeah. <laughs> he, he From the make it so, and then at the end with the engage, it's like he got 15 years younger. He just turned right back into Captain Picard. Yeah, that was that COVID talking. It was <laughs> a little delirious. <laughs> and then the the music, the pull out, and then the, the warp away. Yeah. I, it was like Thor and, arriving. And, and, and you get the old school sound effect. Yeah. The same way, mild spoil for episode 10, when they use the transporters, it's... 80s 1980s transporter it's like yep. this you know it works i listed all the stuff i liked about it. did i miss anything is there anything you want to talk about <laughs> not from not from that scene i did have a few other great scenes um, oh i do too i just let's yeah. talk about what we're talking about which is the enterprise d is back the enterprise d is they back, started yes. building the set from the beginning the season started production mm-hmm. and it they were still gluing carpet on terry mattel said right when they were shooting yep. they shot it for two days uh, it's pretty amazing because when I heard that it was after episode nine had come out, I was like, so what, we're going to get one act on the enterprise D and no, they, they stretched it out pretty well. They well, yeah. Shot I mean, a lot in two days. You can <laughs> shoot like it's, it's you, you know what you're doing. There's not, you know, so other great scenes. Uh, okay. I disagree with you because I like the Troy, uh, counseling session. I think it's hard to do a sequence like that well. I think knowing where it goes, the imagery is very evocative, the way it evolves in the kind of Dutch angles. So that's the kind of scene that I'm like sick of in TV. And I thought that one was well done. Well, I liked it because Um, of Troy, but I thought it was funny that she says, I'm right with you. And then as soon as she sees it's the Borg, she's like like Looney Tunes <laughs> peeling out of there. Yeah, like the bongo drums. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that was my main thing about it. But I mean, she was great. And I liked her acting, the little lip chattering yeah. she's doing where she's like, what the fuck is yeah. this? <laughs> I also, I also, the small moment, but I did really like Data comforting Picard. Uh, you know, is should I say something comforting? I think that would be impossible. And then he just puts his hand on his shoulder. Like, yeah. that'd be a great, That that's an enlightened emotional awareness for a human mm-hmm. uh, and for data it's massive and then i think the whole starfleet getting assimilated was handled with nice escalation dread build up like 
those are those are my other great scenes in this episode. Well, yeah, so I have Frontier Day and it kind of gets intercut with the exposition back and forth, but I still liked it anyway, mm-hmm. where Beverly, Data, and Jordy figure out what's really going on, mm-hmm. that they've been assimilating us this whole time. But I it's the intercut, but still Frontier Day that whole sequence, basically the last twenty minutes of the episode yeah. are, are great, at least in my mind. Uh the counseling scene notwithstanding. Uh, I would I wish the Jack and Picard scene had been a great scene but it, it felt it's a good scene it, there's not, not a bad yeah. scene in this episode yeah it felt like they had to get to that point rather than they earned the point they got to if that makes any sense you sound like cousin greg on succession but we'll go with it <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i'm i'm a quarter of his height so that's a bit of a bummer but uh, yeah, but the, the Frontier Day, you already mentioned the Shelby, uh, yeah. Riker being bitter towards her. That was great. But I liked her speech mm-hmm. and I liked Elizabeth Dennehy. And I'm like, she's still got it. That is Shelby. Sure. Uh, unmistakably Shelby. Oh, right I there. want I want <laughs> Terry Metalis to make a Star Trek legacy show and Shelby is alive. And, but but I want her like permanently injured. I want like a, you know, a grouchy Shelby. <laughs> she just has Shaw popping out of the holes in her yeah. every so often yep. that they get fused together because Shaw dies. We didn't mention that. Sure. Shaw dies in this episode uh which i know a lot of fans heartbreaking but perfect uh, encapsulation of his arc mm-hmm. he saves he puts people on the shuttle and dies saving them i which did is an- not clock that yeah wow yeah. wow so. yeah see that's why i want to rewatch this <laughs> oh and i and liked um, part of shelby's speech i really liked was just mentioning an x01 just mentioning yes. enterprise uh, i'm gonna upset people for sure but for me enterprise uh doesn't have to be canon but but I recognize that it the, the events could have happened in the some NXL version. The NXL1 is canon. Yes, yes. The show itself yes. with the time Cold War, maybe. But the NXL1 in Archer is canon. Yes, that's like, my point about Enterprise. I'm like, we can all take it or leave it for most of the story because of future guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yes, obviously the launch and how that happened, that's yeah. fine. Shelby, and then Shelby dying. I was like, well, eh. You thought that was a good scene? No, I mean, it's part yeah. of the frontier day. It's yeah. part of it. Like it, it appropriately establishes the stakes. It is a bummer that they're like, look at these cool women from Star Trek's history. Boom. <laughs> it's a bummer is all I'm saying. But it was also like, it really did establish what the stakes were. Yeah. And when everyone started turning and they said it was under 25, that was the first moment in the episode where I jumped up off the couch Right where you're sitting now, Stu. Oh, oh, <laughs> and I went, I went, Cindy, no! <laughs> that's how much I love the LaForge daughters. So I got really upset. And then I, so I felt for Jordy there too. Yeah. And then the, uh, the, the assimilation scene where they're all figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Dr. McCoy was right. Yes. Dr. McCoy and Dr. Pulaski. And Dr. Pulaski. And Dr. Yes. Pulaski are both right. The transporters are bad news. <laughs> Best Trek tropes? Well, I actually, I oh, put great. the exposition scene as a Trek trope because we've had many like, you know, PowerPoint presentation type things, but they got to convey a lot of like gobbledygook and it's, and it's done well. And it's kind of like, it's a, it's a pretty great ingenious plan that the writers came up with for the Borg and the changelings to be doing where it's like, everything does culminate. And yeah, I just put like, yeah, good on Jordy and Worf with the presentation and Riker Picard and Crusher with the right question at the right times so that the scene just keeps moving forward. Um, um, I other for other Trek troops. I, I, I don't, I don't know if you would qualify this, but I put Borg cube steam. Uh, you know, you're always real steamy on those Borg cubes and well, the, uh, yes, the environmental steam. controls. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the enterprise E line with Worf, I, I'm labeling it backstory bait 
which I think is fun, you know, because he said in interviews, like, yeah, this is someone for someone in a comic book or something to figure out. But it's kind of like what they did for years with the Breen, where they're just like, we're going to throw out fun lines. But now in this age of the mega franchise, we're going to get some comic about Worf, like ran the Enterprise E into an asteroid or something. But it, it it's great. It, it doesn't need to. They don't need to know what happened. The imagination is fun of it. And so, then and then I can't ask you to face danger. I wrote since when <laughs> and like that's something that like my Eva and I talk about which is like Trek's been doing this since the beginning like you had like 70 something episodes of the original series where they're always in danger but in the movies they're in danger danger like you just have to have that kind of discon- the cognitive disconnect of calibrating like I can't ask you to do this you could ask me to do it the previous 500 times so um, any more? Uh, that's what I got for tr- best Trek tropes I have Space Dock there you go Make it so. Well, the whole every right inch well, of the final gotta, six minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the Picard maneuver. Got to mention that. Worf gets rejected. They still found a way to bring the TNG trope. <laughs> Worf goes in and says, "I prefer the weapons on the E." Additional phaser arrays, torpedoes, and Troy goes, "Worf." Yeah. Well, now that can be cut into all those YouTube montages. That's true. <laughs> also, I liked it because. Uh, I think it's remember when he shows up on Deep Space Nine and and O'Brien's trying to cheer him up, and yeah, it's and Warf, been a while. And Worf <laughs> says, uh, you know, those days on the Enterprise, those were good days, but they're basically in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still love that uh, Michael Dorn decided to play the arrival of new data as like that's not data, mm. <laughs> it's just like not carry. And so his lack of sentimentality is one thing, but also another part of Deep Space Nine is like he. His favorite captain at the end of his service was Cisco. <laughs> Deep Space Nine went through the way. So for him, it's like he's just there because this is his mission. Is like this changeling thing, and now the board, the Frontier Day. He's in. He's obviously loves these people. That's not the issue. It's just funny. The context of his line is like, of course, he's only taken with this to a degree. He's yeah. like, I'll be nice about it because they're my friends. But... <laughs> well, he's, he's the meta moment. He's like, oh, you amateurs. Seven yeah. seasons of a show. I've got 11 seasons That's right. of a show. I've been the most Star Trek yeah. person ever. <laughs> Nobody has Star Trek as much as Michael Dorn has Star Trek. Uh, Prime Directive, because that's how the saucer section gets uh, picked up off of Viridian 3. And then the last one, the Fleet Museum, which, you know, we've talked about before. But as a Trek trope, you know, it's been referenced in Next Generation before. And then this actual idea, what happened, is kind of, sort of, one of the storylines they cut from All Good Things. There's going to be four timelines originally, and there's something about the Borg, I think. But also, I think the original pitch for the future with the Enterprise E with the three or D with the three nacelles was actually stole that from the mm. Fleet Museum. So it's kind of, sort of, in okay. that realm. So anyway, that's it. Worst Trek tropes. Uh, you've mentioned this before. I'm with you on just being a little annoyed at the Insta Star Wars travel. And it's one of those things, where is the Fleet Museum exactly? Like, my brain's like, what if the Fleet Museum was on like Pluto or something? And we, there is just the, oh my God, they've all been taken over. Warp away to other solar system, warp back to other solar system. It doesn't kill it, I I have to accept it. Um, But yeah, the scale of the the, the Insta travel I have for that. Uh, 
the tra- I don't know if it's bad, but the transwarp conduit that I guess exists into Jupiter's red dot. Uh, I kind of feel like that was maybe established in Voyager, but maybe not. In or ju- Discovery. Oh. In Discovery, oh. maybe one of them might have been. But yeah, it's it's still silly. <laughs> and then this this is my key one. The whole like the, so the whole fleet's been assimilated, and they're on the turbo lift, and they just like so the, the the trope is oh wait there's that one channel that nobody's on like the maintenance channel right so it's like okay it's usually you get a little hack there, but then. In the moment, Picard just goes, everybody go to this. And I'm like, did you just tell the 25-year-olds where to find you? Well, that's like, why they got pinned down. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I wish they would have like hung a lantern on that. And yeah. like, John Luke. Oh, oh my bad. <laughs> right, you know, right. the years have gotten, have gotten up with me. That's true. Because in the first couple of episodes, they were like, hey, Admiral, we don't do things like this anymore. And he's like, oh, right. So, <laughs> um, I have stealing a shuttle. And how easy it is. That that being the worst Trek trope. And in this one, it's actually a little better earned because Jack is taking people over. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can see once he takes over the, the uh, security guys, I almost called them the stunt guys. Uh, those are the same two stunt guys, the security guards he takes over uh, to get out of the scene with Picard. That were the... Um, guys the dominion the changelings they were fighting in episode seven and eight and the only reason why i'm saying that for sure is because of the way they held their phasers they're the same they hold the other weapons and they're also just big guys who look like stunt guys but anyway you can imagine jack is taking over people he needs to get the the shuttle launched and so the worst trek trope is less that and then more that they can't track him after the fact like not even data could track him mm. in the enterprise pilot they're able to track the suliban ship for the <laughs> ion trail yeah they've got warp signatures well, ion who, trails who can't track him the, remember data says oh he turned off his, he scrambled his transponder oh so for, he can't get uh, a lock oh, okay. jack yeah. so he can't get a lock on jack's shuttle and it's like is that the best idea or was the best idea he's able to get sydney to delete the sensor logs yeah or something which is like we already saw him control someone on the bridge and so if he really didn't want them following him doing something that data could figure out in a second it it was just a thing that bumped me is like i get it he has to escape escaping on a shuttle is is a terrible trek trope they always do they doubled down on it by, <laughs> by flummoxing yeah. data. Was, and it's like, that's oh. why I was confused. I was like, wait, which which shuttle escape are you talking about? This one has two. <laughs> Most of its time quality. I only have one for this uh, because a lot of things are like of the past 20 years. I put nervous Hans Zimmer strings on the musical score as Frontier Day starts. It feels like that kind of like... Dark Knight Rises, like, din, 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 you know, like, and that feels newish. It's not a, it's not a night all diss on the music. It just, I feel like we're, it's the same strings we got in like Skyfall when like, uh, yeah, you're right. Javier Dark Knight Rises. Yep. yep. It's those nervous strings that start. It felt like Dark Knight Rises started with it, but that's the only of its, specifically of its time quality that I So had. I had two Jack saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Shia LaBeouf, what have you done to <laughs> writing? And then uh, the last six minutes, the turning Star Trek into a Marvel movie. You know what though? That's not a, that's not a negative. None of these. It was are great. Negative. It was. None I mean, them. it's the point where you have to realize that this is season three is is movie five, mm-hmm. not TNG season eight. It's movie five. Well, well and that's aside, why it works. A quick aside, I'll say is that like it's the gift of time that this season has because we've had four movies, but because they started in the chronology right after the show 
the four next generation movies are often criticized for feeling like two hour episodes there. That's what they have in common with Star Trek, the motion picture. This, because they're older is why this feels like elements of wrath of Khan. Like they're older search for Spock. They're stealing stuff, undiscovered country. It's all culminating in this. So yeah. Yeah. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. (laughs) Great lines. Okay. So I've got, so how much of me is me? Funny, I've always known the world was imperfect. Broken systems, wars, suffering, violence, poverty, bigotry. And I always thought if people could only see each other, hear each other, speak in one voice, act in one mind together, who knew a little cybernetic authoritarianism was the answer? I think it's a great line. And I think that the, over time in Star Trek, we've had like exploring Borg psychology. I haven't seen all of Voyager. So I know there's one where there's like Borg dreams. Season two, they had like Girardi going on that, uh, which was one approach, but... This, I was like, oh my God, our world is a mess right now. I often feel like, man, if only we were all like a hive mind, we could be more effective. So I thought that was just a fantastic line that set up this whole, he's been a Borg person all along. Or at least has desired to be one. Sees yeah. the. Br- uh, I've got Crusher saying, I gave Wesley space and I lost him to it. Nice, nice pun there. Mm-hmm. Um, you said at the beginning of this episode, I've never been happy to see so many wrinkles. Uh, I love Seven saying the robot's right. Yes. And the reaction to that line. Uh, the robot's right was an yeah. improv that they figured out in rehearsal. Yeah, I think so. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Brent Spiner really cheesing it up when he says, I hope we die quickly. <laughs> I like the Borg Queen's line. What I see in you, what Vatic saw, an end. The vindication of both our species to take everything back from those who live like shattered glass. Mm. I, th- I think I liked her referring to people as shattered glass. That's, an, that that's another good. interesting yeah. thing on Borg psychology. She sees the Borg as a mirror, I guess. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and then I did like Worf's line. That was not my fault. It's, it's great the <laughs> amount of the, the ways they all look at him. It's like it could have been some glorious thing or it could have been like he like smacked the Enterprise E into like the Admiral's ship or something. <laughs> Uh, the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. I'm super interested to know what you have. I got a runner-up, and I got a uh, my runner-up real quick. I'll give this Todd Stashwick. Uh, everybody's great in this episode, but Todd, he he has his death scene. He doesn't overplay the you have the con seven of nine, which could have been like a little too Starship Troopersy. But I'm giving it to I'm giving it to Lavar Burton. Everyone is playing some version of panic. The panic when his daughters have been overtaken. Um, he's been playing a lot of the like bubbling emotions to the surface throughout the season, like he did in the um, the Data Lore episode. But he just kind of broke my heart. And then in our favorite scene, everyone else is reacting. He's being a pretty damn good tour guide there. So mm-hmm. I'm giving it to LeVar Burton. I'm giving it to the Enterprise D. I, I'm, okay. <laughs> because... <laughs> Enterprise D hasn't been in a scene in a long time. (laughs) You know, it's got mismatched parts. The port to cell cover is not working. But, oh, she looks great. And then she just comes right out. The engine revs up. She's good to go. And it's like, oh, we're back. Looks great. Tied with the score. I mean, I mean, this is I'm taking a liberty here on what this means, but. The Enterprise D and the score are the two things I think about the most in mm-hmm. this episode. LeVar Burton is great. He's Geordi. The, the fact that they are like Geordi out of all these revivals 
in like the pantheon, the mo- the last 20 years, the X-Files, whatever. It's like, oh, Jordy is the most like Jordy. And yeah. Riker in season one and Troy in season one were pretty close. Mm-hmm. This season, they definitely are their characters. But again, we haven't seen Jordy in a while. Bam, here he is. Sure. Um, but yeah. And then I had a runner up. I tied the score in Enterprise D. I did want to, I already mentioned Elizabeth Dennehy, but I liked your thing. Uh, only because, again, stepping right back into the Wait, role. Wait, Elizabeth Dennehy? Sorry. Elizabeth Denny as Shelby. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, I adore her. I don't think she gets much to because do. Because she walked right back into being Shelby. Okay. As, I just an honorable mention. Not yeah, as sure. a not as the award. It's sure. tied with D and score. Okay. All right. The Shatner. Okay. So I've got a runner up and a winner for this one, which is going to make you laugh. My runner up is Ed Spilliers. I love, I think he's great. I think it's a challenging role. He's and going it's, for and it. it. He's really going for yeah. it in that scene with Picard. Now, now my winner because as I understand how you and Kristen define the Shatner is who's really going for it. So I have Frederick Weedman <laughs> and the score for the That's Shatner. Awesome. <laughs> and I have, I, I took a picture of it. I have Peter Rotter, the conductor, Matt Friedman, the music editor, <laughs> Phil McGowan, sound engineer and mixer, Enrique Astrom, additional synth perfor- programming, orchestration by Chad Setter and Susie Setter. And score preparation services by Booker White. I scoured trying to figure out, is this like the Los Angeles Symphony Orchestra? But yo, everyone involved with the music, every single instrument, y'all freaking went for it. And I'll be listening to this ad nauseum forever. It's so that's my, that's my. Amanda Plummer has won the Anton Curtin and Shatner in the same episode. So, so she, the, the score it is. The entirety. Yeah. And, and again, it's not just the score. It, I'm talking the performances. Like, you're <laughs> telling me Peter Rotter, the conductor, wasn't going nuts when he built to the freaking Goldsmith theme? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what part of this episode are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? Everybody, listen. This is where the abort fleet mode switch is. <laughs> it's not as simple. Up fleet mode, guess we're done. That's like, right. <laughs> uh, the, is I that think, what you have? Or? No, I have. I think they're learning that there's the transporter has the common biology mm-hmm. in the firmware. I think mm-hmm. they're learning about that. And then cadets will joke around and say stuff like, they're going to have to build a whole new transporter to beam me up. Ain't nothing common about me. You know, I think they'll joke oh, around like that. Yeah, so that's, that, that's going to be in Lower Decks. <laughs> yeah, or Starfleet Academy. Yeah. <laughs> 99 Delta, I think they're teaching that. But I have a backstory for that. That's the secret engineering channel mm-hmm. that you referenced. But 99 Delta, since it's a secret old thing that only like old grease monkeys know about. Remember, that's that's what uh, Shaw is. Mm-hmm. Um I think like the the engineers who have uh, proteges, mm-hmm. like the old grizzled ones, like I want you to know, mm-hmm. uh, here's our secret CB frequency <laughs> that only the cool or they're, best engineers like use. That yeah, that's like right. Red that's right. Red you know, surrogate surrogate parents passing it along, like an eng- like one of the engineering cadets like loses a mentor and mm-hmm. then in his belo- or her belongings finds this little thing and then is able to connect with all of her friends that mm-hmm. she was talking about. So that's what I that was my little backstory there for for that. All right, for this season, we've been uh, changing the last grade before Trek Mary Kill to what part of this is Picard omitting or embellishing in his memoirs? It's clear as day to me. 
Jack, Jack was trying to stop himself, but the Borg Queen had hacked into his body. He was like, stop me, Dad, stop me, man. The, the Borg Queen is controlling my feet and making me walk to the shuttlecraft. I told him I loved him. I told him you don't have to go to the Vulcan Institution. I'll, we'll, we'll go off together. I feel like it's because, and this is not a knock on the show, Picard's new as a dad, but you really screwed the pooch on that, on that gang Jack and Lion moment, yeah. Picard. Yours is better. I still have to say mine because mine was like I think he'll misremember and think that Beverly was there oh. and then like after the fact Beverly would be like no remember you said no I've got to do this this is my fault yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I listened to you but that's what happened yeah. so I, the scene would play out maybe as you wrote it yeah. but he he would say that Beverly and I yeah. and he would just Beverly and I agree that yes. this is a conversation between father and son why <laughs> Um, but the other part of sub question for, for what you said about Picard's memoirs, how much will Raffi appear in Picard's memoirs? Big so, character in season one, the big relationship. I, I will, okay. So here's where I admit I didn't finish season one. Well, that's fine. Yeah. So, but like what was interesting, even if I don't like what they, what she stands for is like an addict. Like mm. I wasn't on board. I, I think Michelle Hurd's great. I see yeah. why they cast her and she's fantastic. She's got a great energy um but it was it was an interesting relationship that they suggested you know picard once he becomes an admiral or laid into his captaincy she's like the young upstart that maybe mm. reminded him of a younger version or even ensign Rowe or something mm. and she pushed him and he liked the the way she pushed him and then she fell off the wagon and all that stuff and and maybe he tried to help her and it didn't work out but at least in season one, we're led to believe that they are pretty close. In season two, it's still kind of there. And then it doesn't come up at all in season three. And as much as I think most of us are like, well, I didn't watch season one or season two. And we got the Next Generation cast. Mm -hmm. You are still Star Trek Picard season three. So I just was curious what you thought. Do you think that that Picard, that the uh, Raffi relationship is a thing that we should think about when we think about Picard? Uh, when you think about Picard the character, not for this season, but what? so as much as she's turning up in his memoirs, I don't think that much. What I will say, though, is I think they did a really fantastic job with her this season. I think I loved her as a Worf foil. Um, I love that that was the way of bringing Worf in. Mm -hmm. I think they continued the relationship she had with Seven of Nine from season two without... Uh, without it overwhelming things. Um, I would be super stoked for a Star Trek legacy show that, but you would uh, be yeah. happy to see Raffi again. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. would be happy yeah. to see Raffi again. It I, was I just, she had actually something to offer about the, the father, the, the parent son relationship, mm -hmm. parent child relationship. She actually, uh, you know, we already heard from Riker and Troy and he offered a really interesting perspective. Yeah. And, but that's also, that son is dead. I think and that, she has a living son. I know why they didn't do it. I'm yeah. just saying, she could have, yes, but let's be real. As soon as the next-gen cast has sat around a table in episode eight, they're now doing their thing. Yeah. We can have a B-plot with Shaw, Seven, Rafi, yeah. but it's time for our OG crew to... We're here for them. Yeah, and you know? I mean, I didn't want to see Rafi on the Enterprise D or anything like yeah. that, or Seven. I, don't, I didn't need that. I just was curious because she is... 
she's a main character of Star Trek Picard, sure. surprisingly. So it's like, you know, the, the main cast or the special guest and she yep. was the recur- she was the regular. Yeah, anyway. This is like, is this some record of the most special guest stars consistently per episode? <laughs> I don't know. Bob Hart's Abishola yeah, we, might we break that record. That <laughs> Uh, all right, so we've we've arrived at the end. Trek, marry, or kill Vox. So when I first watched it, I was going to get into this whole thing about like, well, it's a serialized show, and this is like a setup episode. And also, when I first watched it, I was I, I was getting a lot of interruptions from my one year old and whatnot. But watching it again, this is a full on freaking Mary. Like oh, it has oh. one of the most <laughs> iconic scenes ever. There's not a bad scene in it. Every scene in it is good. There are several great moments in it. It's a it's a part one of a finale. You can't take it. You can't take the link out of the chain. Basically, with any of these episodes, but even as a part one, it's like you have the frontier day attack, and then you have just this six minute sequence at the end that is the ultimate. You thought we were done bringing everyone back. Here it is. So I, I, it's definitely a Mary for me. <laughs> uh, I was going to say a Trek strong Trek because of what I brought up at the beginning of nostalgia and what was going on here. But I got to go with the Mary too, because I did, the, I said the last 20 minutes are great. And mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of the, fr- there's a, like a lot of weird, it's like episodes seven and eight in the beginning of this one. They all kind of like drift into each other. There's mm-hmm. kind of like, this is, that's the part of the season they yeah. rush wrote through it felt a little unfocused but then once it snaps into focus and the tension and then the ending i mean i'm you're you're convincing me yeah that it's a mary is it a soft mary <laughs> maybe it, maybe it's a soft mary because it's I, a soft it, mary it's a it's an ep, it's gotta you gotta watch it, the episode. as an isolated piece it's not like some master piece of like structural perfection but as a as the I was thinking about it. So it's like, well, that's like saying, do you marry minutes 70 through 85 of Wrath of Khan? Or so that's what I was, know? that's what I was thinking. Like I would for sure marry the last 20 minutes of this, but would I marry the whole thing? And it's like, well, you brought up the point about the scene with Troy. It still has Troy in it. Mm-hmm. It still has a lot of stuff going on. It is setting the stakes. If you watch it back to back with episode 10, it really is good. You know, we need the Jack stuff. I think seeing the Borg Queen, we didn't really talk about that. We just see the back of her head. But just seeing yeah. how much of a bad shape the Borg are oh, but in. I, but I forgot creepy. to mention this in the talking about the Troy session because the whole time the whole series we've been hearing this like voice and voice and voice. And with about ten seconds before he walked through the door is when I hollered at my wife and I said, Borg Queen, they did a good job with they finally let Alice Krieger is how yeah. they finally let Alice Krieger's voice come through enough that you know, okay they'll reveal it to anyone who doesn't clock it but to someone who is a nerd and has seen Star Trek First Contact thirty <laughs> times I was like ah oh, it's her it's her you know yeah all right we're we're marrying uh, Vox episode nine we're marrying is, Vox we're marrying Vox we're marrying Vox knowing that Vox is uh, Vox is really really good looking sister <laughs> the last generation is part of the package we deal. just want to get in the family <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we just want to get in the family but yeah. Jack, you're so dumb, though. What a stupid idea, which and, which a 34-year-old man should not be doing, but a 20-year-old, I believe. <laughs> yeah, and Picard, you got to work on a... You can restrain... You can grind... You, you know, he could have said you're grounded. Yeah. This is In the pantheon <laughs> of Picard dealing with people younger than him, I was like, for time, I can't go into all this, but like... 
what is there? There's an episode where they pick up like a punk human kid who oh, was raised by aliens. Yeah. And then you've got the one obviously with his fake son, yeah. Jason Vigo. And then, you know, it's, don't forget the kids in the turbo lift. Disaster. disaster <laughs> yep. So it's like Picard with children. Not definitely not, not a good thing. Why no. would he be any better with his children? But according to his memoirs, oh, the poor queen had taken over. There was nothing I could do. So. <laughs> All right, well, we got a Mary, and we've got one more episode left for Picard Season 3, and that will also wrap up our season of Trek, Mary Kill. Stu, this has been great. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's been fantastic. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, nothing I'll plug, but I will give a shout-out to Crescenzo Notarile. He wasn't the cinematography cinematographer for this episode, but for most of them, uh, he was cinematographer on Ghost Whisperer, a really nice, cool Italian guy, so... Happy for you, Crescenza. If you're enjoying the show, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, a five-star rating if you could. On Spotify, you can, uh, right there in the app, you can say, like the episode, that'd be great too, helps boost our visibility. Check out all of our standings for the other episodes, trekmarykillpod.com. And so until next week, TMK out. TMK out.